to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. And hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. My name is Paul Joy and as the host of this podcast, it is my pleasure to sit down each week with a yog, a Yarra old grammarian to explore the ups and downs, ins and outs, twists and turns of life, both their experience at Yarra Valley Grammar in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, but also to see where life and choices and decisions have taken them since. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Today I'm sitting down with Mark Stafford from the class of 1986. A little fact that I must confess I didn't find out until right at the very end after we'd stopped recording. Mark was in fact school captain of Yarra Valley Grammar and I wish I had asked him about some of those experiences as well and student leadership and those things but alas We did have a wonderful conversation and I'm delighted to share that with you now of his travels, of his pursuits and his passions, of his guidance, advice, parenting and subject selection and the global stage and business and so many things that we explore together in this conversation. I'm going to begin by asking him his early memories of the school uniform when he was a young lad starting year seven at Yarra Valley Grammar. Enjoy this conversation with Mark Stafford of 1986. Thank you very much for the invitation. Um, and it's a, it's a pleasure to uh, catch up and maybe share a, a few uh, of my experiences and memories. So uh, a school uniform. Um, if I recall, we had a red jumper and um, we were very noticeable um, when we were heading down to, down to Ringwood to catch the bus or the train. Uh, on our onward journey. Um, so the, the red jumpers are a fond memory. So were shorts. Um, so there was a, uh, a fairly keen group of us who were prepared and wanted to wear shorts through the, the winter months. And it was a, a badge of honour if you were able to get through a Yarra Valley winter wearing shorts. So that'd be my two fondest memories. And obviously with shorts come the socks. And uh, there were different ways of wearing the socks and we had teachers reminding us all the time the way that we needed to. Some things haven't changed and the idea of wearing long socks with your shorts is still not overly popular by uh, as far as the students go. <laughs> it is a constant uh, constant battle though. Um, so tell us then what what year level did you start your journey at Yarra? Were you in junior school wearing your red jumper or middle school? No, good, good question. So I joined from I, I joined in year seven. I joined Mr Murray's uh, group. I can't remember what we were, 7D or 7E or something. 7C, I think it was. Um, and I, I think I was lucky because I was joining at the same time as a lot of other people um, and a lot of kids... Uh, it was boys, obviously, at that stage. A lot of boys joined from different schools around the region, some very close to Yarra, some a bit further away. Um, there was a little bit of a, uh, an us and them because it was the junior school boys that had graduated up into senior school and they had a distinct advantage of having a, a, a network. But that didn't last very long because um, 
all, all the kids were pretty welcoming of the new kids because we went, I think, from junior school would have been a small group of numbers, maybe 40 or 50 to 100 plus. So it didn't take long for everybody to integrate pretty quickly. Mm, that's fantastic. And, and it's interesting because some of those same uh, phenomenon happen today. There's a rite of passage for a junior school student to come into our secondary school and there is a certain sense of ownership. But equally, they are very quickly outnumbered by the newcomers, uh, particularly at Year 7, and, and very quickly they see, I think, the opportunity to make new friends and to expand the horizons and the impact and the influences of uh, new people coming into the school. So it's something that we celebrate at and I guess work really hard to try and foster those new connections and, and new uh, relationships. Do you? What do you remember about hanging out in Year 7, uh, let's say lunchtime, even through middle school? Where would we find you? If, if we were looking for Mark Stafford, where would we go? Like, are you hanging out in the library? Are you out in the uh, out in the forest, out in the bush? Are you on the oval? Where where would you be? Not in the bush, because if you were down the bush, maybe uh, people were doing things that they weren't meant to do. If you were down at the bush, there was only one place, and that was uh, backboard. Um, we used to play backboard um, before school, recess, and lunchtime. Um, so backboard out the front of where one of the, rec uh, not the rectangles, but one of the classrooms was. I'm not quite sure if that space still exists, but it, it was set there for the basketballers, but the basketballers got kicked off because there would have been about 40 or 50, years, 50 of us uh, playing backboard uh, all the time. So that that was, that's where m most of my time was. Library, I don't, I'm not sure which year I discovered the library, but it wasn't in my first week or two at Yarra Valley, that's for sure. <laughs> Now, there are some games that have stood the test of time, but I've got to admit, unless we call it something different nowadays, can you just explain what backboard is? How, does the, how do the rules of backboard work? Um, basically, you were throwing a tennis ball against the backboard of a, of a basketball court and you basically had to be able to hit the backboard from wherever you had caught the ball um, whether it was right in front or whether it was on an angle or whereas at the back of the court and if you missed you're out so it was a bit of a knockout competition and it was easy when there was 50 or 40 but when it came down to two or three the the name of the game was to get the angles as sharp as they could to make the next throw um, as difficult as possible so it helped with the cricket career a few of us ended up playing for the first 11 second 11 third 11 um, but yeah, that, that was just a very popular, uh, game, uh, for a lot of us. Yeah. That's it a, didn't require too much equipment either. It was just a tennis ball. Absolutely. I, I think that's great. And, uh, I, I think, um, perhaps one of the, uh, limitations of such a game today would be, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I don't mean to, uh, to give any flack to our, uh, sports department, but, I'm not sure how many year seven, year eight kids around, running around these days would be able to throw the tennis ball and hit the backboard. How, how, how so? Well, I, I think if you've got any distance behind you and you want to give it a good hurl at the backboard, chances are you're going to miss the backboard completely and lose the ball down in the, in the garden. Uh, that happened, and when that happened, it was straight off to the side of the court. You're out. So that was you're gone. If you miss the backboard, you're out. That, that was a whole. That was a whole purpose. You basically had to hit the hit the backboard, and if you missed it, that was that was the way you you were out. Um, so there were lots of people. 
um, who missed the backboard and occasionally you'd have someone who was a bit too smart, tried to throw it very hard right underneath the backboard and missed it completely and that got lots of laughter. That would definitely be my strategy for sure and I'm sure I would also miss the backboard too and, uh, and they would laugh at me just the same. You had a little reference in there to uh, sport and Saturday sport perhaps. Um, you probably weren't playing Saturday sport regularly in your primary school years but you come to Yarra, you come into the middle school and all of a sudden Saturday sport is is on the agenda. Where did you start in those early days? What did you enjoy doing and what did you do in terms of Saturday morning? Yeah, you're, you're right. It, that, that's exactly how it happened and um, I think it's the public school system. They play some of their inter-schools um, midweek, but within the grammar system, it was definitely Saturday morning sports. So uh, I've been playing locally. I, I grew up in Mitcham, um, so I, I, I've just actually been down there this morning for a little bit of a memory trip, but um, down at Tarara Road and leaving your local club, it was a bit of a... Um, a difficult moment. Some kids, if I recall, tried to balance school sport with other local sport if they could. Many of us couldn't. Um, but when you ended up representing the school wearing the uh, the uniform, um, and the uniforms back then were pretty pretty simple compared to some of the material we get to see on sports stuff at the moment, you're, you're obviously very proud. And uh, obviously, as you went through school, um, trying to be in a representative team was something that um, a lot of us were aspiring to and, and, and represent the, the school in the, in the same way. And playing other schools, um, most of the schools were closer to the city. We all know where Yarra Valley is. But, um, yeah, beating Trinity Grammar or Ivanhoe or, or Mentone, um, those were where we bonded together as teams. And maybe some of the people that you were socially um engaged with at school you were mixing with a different group when it came to sport so that also helped right we, we're all keen to enjoy and, and perform well in the field so for me sport was an important part of my um, experience at Yarra Valley and it was for a lot not for everybody but it, it was for a lot of us yeah and I think in your experience perhaps certainly in mine that if you could throw and catch if you had a little bit of poise on on whether it be a basketball court tennis court uh, out on the footy field the cricket pitch if if you had a little bit of credentials when it comes to sport that often was a way to connect and engage and and kind of be accepted and sometimes even by kids who are a bit older than you and and once you get some rapport with some kids who are in a year level or two above you that that then then all of a sudden the, the chest just puffs out a little bit further and uh, and you walk with a, a different gait I think when when you're being acknowledged by older kids what was your sport what was your go-to or did you try different things um, I, pro I probably didn't try different things I followed uh, my dad's English mum's um, Australian and I'm, I'm absolutely Australian there's no I have an English passport but that's just for uh, traveling purposes occasionally but I played uh, soccer we called it soccer in those days um, and I, I played these sports before I hit Yarra Valley. So as soon as I got to Yarra Valley, I put my name down to play soccer and, and cricket during um, uh, during the different seasons. So for me, it was just a, a natural progression um, and playing with the different age groups, et cetera, et cetera. Those were the things um, I enjoyed playing. I could 
I was okay at, at most of those sports. I was a terrible swimmer, absolutely terrible swimmer. And if uh, Barry Rogers is listening, Baz is a very good mate of mine. Um, we we used to, we were in Hughes, and every year we would be the the last finishers in our heats in the in the swimming sports. But Baz was a super runner, right? He go and look up Barry Rogers' uh, Portland Marathon. He, he's a super runner. He's been to Boston, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we were terrible swimmers, absolutely terrible. Well, it's good to know where your strengths are, and uh, and I guess the the opposite of that is also true. Let's move for a little bit through our middle school years and and you're choosing some subjects and you're starting to, are you starting to get a bit of an idea of what the future might hold? Are you starting to choose subjects with with some intentionality? And do you find yourself in in art? Are you on the stage for drama? Are you, are you a musician? Are you a talented mathematician? Where, where academically are you starting to head as you end middle school and start choosing some secondary senior school subjects? So I was, an, I was a numbers guy, um, but simple numbers. So I ended up doing accounting um, in HSC. Mm-hmm. But at, at that point, when it came to subject selection, you, you started to find out what you were interested in, but also what your colleagues were interested in. So uh, some were very mathematical and scientific and went down those paths. Some people um, went down the creative side, um, uh, picking some of the art subjects. Uh, I ended up doing a bit of a, a combination. I don't want to jump ahead to, to the end, but I, I ended up doing um, maths, English, uh, legal studies and accounting and graphics. So my, um, my selection was a little bit different because I had a bit of a creative side through graphics, which graphics was great. We had a, a fantastic uh, school with Mr. Musker. Um, I still remember we were allowed to call him Dave back in those days, Dave Musker. And that was that was a really popular subject. So was PE, given the sport connection. But yeah, middle school, yeah, like a lot of the kids now, right, they're, they're having to think about where they want to stream. And at that stage, not all of us knew what we needed to do. Some of us still don't know what we need to do, but... Um, <laughs> At that, at that point, yeah, you, you were sitting down with your parents or you were sitting down with some of the, your teachers and just if, if they thought you were doing well on a particular subject, they'd say, come on, keep doing German or keep doing um, geography. Um, so, yeah, at that point you started to see people starting to stream off into different areas. But it, 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 no issue. It was just um, trying, to, trying to work out within yourself what you were really interested in doing in the future. Mm. So... 1986 is when you graduated and and times have changed and circumstances have changed and and you've lived a full life and we'll explore that and unpack that some more but I'm curious both as as a once upon a time a student making those decisions and I also appreciate as a parent helping your children make some decisions about pathways and options where do you sit with the idea of anticipating a 16, 17, 18-year-old making decisions, subject choices for something that, that for many, once they choose it, they're going to stay on that path. Whereas these days, there's a much more flexibility and, and change seems to be part of the experience of many people today. Both your reflection as a young person, but also now with wisdom on your side and ex- experience behind you, what do you think about making those subject choices and career pathways so early, so young? 
Um, yeah, okay, we've got two hours. There's a bit in there. Um, I Look, Harry Hindsight, um, at the time, it probably felt like a bigger decision um, than it definitely feels like now. Um, and if I just encourage kids that are listening, parents or whatever, there's there's lots of decisions to be made, but it, there's also that I've heard that phrase many times, pathways, because we've been doing that with our kids, um, is that sometimes those pathways change as well. Um, back when I was doing subjects, it, it, for me, looking back, it feels like when I was trying to work out university courses and jobs, there seemed to be a smaller gambit of um, options, whereas now it's, I think the difficulty, it's like the, the data age, it's just too much data. If you can process all the data, that's one of the, that's one of the keys to success. But, but now there just seems to be, when you go through the courses available um, here in Victoria or Australia, it just seems like things have moved to new industries and, and new vocations and there's a lot to choose from. So, yeah, look, I think it's, it's, um, it's, it might be foreboding just to sort of look out there and think, what am I going to do? But I think that, that the point that I would say is too is that some of the pathways that you can take end up taking you directly where you want to go and some of them help you get to those next steps. But there's not a wrong decision. Um, there's not a wrong decision because what, what I saw is that some, some colleagues went to go and do something in university, hated it, hated their first year and thankfully for a lot of them they, they – they were able to move and change and go and do something, which was great. And again, making a making a change to an original decision is not a bad thing. Um, what is a bad thing is if you're sitting in something and you don't like it and you think you need to stay in it. You don't need to stay in it. You've got choices. So, yeah, look, I think from that perspective, the only other point I'd just say is obviously speaking and helping with your kids, right? The, the kids are young. They don't have all the the experiences as adults hopefully we've got so sharing your experiences with them to help them make the decision but it's still their decision so don't force them down a particular path but you you, you can help provide some nuggets and experiences to help them do that what i do recall though i, th- I remember the school being fantastic with career i think we called it careers counseling back then and um I know physically where it was in the building. I, I don't know if it's still still there, just above the steps on the right-hand side. But the um, the careers ca- counsellors were fantastic. So they were helping us understand how to navigate um, courses post uh, Yarra Valley with lots of information, more information than obviously our parents had at the time, um, and that helped with with people making decisions. I really love that. I I, I appreciate. The, again, the wisdom that you bring to that because of experience and lived experience and, and a Yarra experience of that. And there's something in there for our, as you say, for our current parents who are listening who are maybe about to negotiate some of these big questions with, with their own children. And I particularly want to highlight the idea that no decision, no choice is a bad one, but not making a choice or not making a decision, perhaps that's where we might come undone if we don't. Moving forward into something is is better than just stopping where you are and, and kind of doing nothing um, is, is sort of the, the message that I take from that and, and I agree with that and I, I would also encourage people to pick something and then nowadays more than ever there is flexibility to move and change and, and, and you know, pivot as they say and, and twist and turn which you have in your journey and your career and opportunities have come up that, that you 
had no idea when you were choosing subjects back when you're 16 or 17 years old. And, and we're going to launch into them very soon. But I just want to pull you back on one thing. And that is the notion of accounting and graphics. And you talked about you like numbers and you like simple numbers and you like the creativity. Does creativity make you a better accountant? <laughs> um, I think so, for sure. I, no, um, I'm sure it does as, as accounting, but it's also it also drifts into other, other spheres, right? Um, do I like helping my wife in the garden? Yes, right? And that's not just moving soil. That's, that's saying, no, nah, let's do this and let's have a look at a, a few pictures. I, I just enjoyed creating things. And um, um, it was an instruction that was a little bit different from some of the other subjects. English was read this, read this, let's talk about it. Get uh, deep about certain themes and um, that was a certain amount of enjoyment and then maths and science and chemistry and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, the, the creative side to me was a really interesting thing and, and, again, it was probably an insight to how I found university because I did – a commerce degree at Melbourne Uni. I spent a year at Monash and then went to, to, to Melbourne Uni. But the subjects I enjoyed most were Chinese and Russian politics in my uh, university degree. All the others were pretty, okay, these are graphs, this is supply and demand, this is statistics. But it wasn't until I drifted off into the arts faculty to do some sub-majors that I really, I really enjoyed the subjects. Um, mm. Maybe I should have followed those up a little bit more. But, yeah, look, I, yeah, I... I, I like to do a few diverse things and that carries through today. But, um, yeah, graphics at that stage too was a lot of kids wanted to do it. We had a great facility. We had great teachers. The teachers were a little bit different. They had a different approach to things and, um, yeah, it worked out really well. Mm. I love that. And I, I agree with you that perhaps a, a great program of subjects actually has you encounter different modes of thinking, different ways of presenting, different voices, different teachers, different teaching styles. I think diversity is actually part of what puts a good program together for a student. Yeah, so let me, I was just about to say, uh, uh, we live in Singapore, so our kids have gone to school overseas um, at the Australian International School in Singapore and they've done IB, so the International Baccalaureate. And as part of that upbringing of that syllabus for IB, I think that's one of the ethoses of the course, which is you can't do lots of the same stuff. You've, you've got to have breadth of um, education and they include you've got to nominate a language and you've got to have something from humanities and you've got to have something from maths, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you couldn't get away with double maths, chemistry, physics and English, which I know some kids did in my year. I don't know how they got through, but... Um, you couldn't do that through the IB. And I, I think HSC has also broadened its scope somewhat, uh, but our kids ended up choosing IB um, with our guidance because we just thought it was a, a broader um, a broader education. And if I, if I understand it right, too, at university, many subjects now, if you want to become a, a doctor or you want to become a lawyer, they don't allow you to go straight into law first year or, or, or medicine. In some cases, you've got to have... Um, a more generalist education first before you specialise. That's exactly right. 
Yeah, and, and I agree. I, I, that's not a bad thing. Um, I think it's good to try and keep broad, get some experience and, and you know, think differently. They're all helpful things. And I, I appreciate your observations and uh, perspective on the idea of creativity and, and absolutely it can show itself up in, in different pursuits. It doesn't have to be, you know, with a graphics pencil and a ruler. It, it can be, you know, and it doesn't, neither does it have to be with a paintbrush and a, and a canvas. It can, you can show and express creativity in so many different ways, which leads me to ask the question around the stage. Is there a musical performance or a stage performance that that you recall, either because you were in it or you were in the audience. Now, you might have been a fantastic tree. I heard somebody the other day, they were in Wizard of Oz and they were they were a brick on the yellow brick road and they were very proud of being, they were a really good brick. But is there anything a performance-wise that you can recall from your days at Yarra Valley Grammar? Yeah, I do because I love theatre and from the seats, um, I'm not a performer necessarily. Maybe I perform in different areas, but um, not on a stage. I don't have too many skills. But look, again, we—if I recall—we we, again we had some amazing talent. It wasn't wasn't just sports academically and arts, um, but also in the music space. But on in theatre, um, and the guys and girls that did stuff there. I'm just trying to remember the name. I don't know if it was Annie Get Your Gun or some of the other performances, but. Um, a colleague, a friend of mine, I haven't spoken to him for ages, forever actually, Ash Reader, um, quiet guy at sc- uh, in the class and then he became like a, I won't say a superstar, but everybody knew Ash when he did his first performance because he was spectacular and we just thought that is amazing. Um, mm. But, yeah, uh, we, we were encouraged to, to go and look at some of the performances and we were always blown away by the quality of the, I don't know, the, the, the set design, the performances, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, I, I have I have no acting skills. My brother joined some um, theatre performances, but I, I never made it onto the stage. But still, I appreciate your uh, willingness to value and appreciate the talent that is up there on stage. And and I, I'm a bit like you in that I, I love being in the audience and I love... Um, and, and music and performance like that, it really moves you. And, and, and for me, you know, it can be spine-tingling stuff because I agree, as a teacher, as an educator, I know the students in, in, in one sphere, and, and it, whether it's a classroom environment, but all of a sudden they become somebody totally different when they're on the stage. And, and I, I know the same story, different people, but the same story where you'd hardly hear boo from them in class or even in the social spaces, but all of a sudden they've got to roll up on stage and maybe because they're pretending to be something else, someone else, all of a sudden they are just transformed into a superstar. Absolutely. It's uh, it's wonderful to watch. Let's uh, transition through into senior school. You went to, in your day, HSC. You got a number out of that. Don't have to know the number, but where did that lead you? You said you went to uh, Monash Uni, then Melbourne Uni. What are you studying at that time, and did you finish your degree? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, year 11 and 12 um, were great years. Um, back then, we had the girls uh, join in year 11 and 12. I th- I'm pretty sure 
it's it's co-ed at a lower level now. But for us, year eleven was a was an amazing year because the whole dynamics uh, changed. A few people got distracted in class, um, but year eleven and twelve we were building through our um, education to obviously make sure that year twelve was a was a good performing year. Um, and yeah, look I, at that stage. I wanted to do commerce at Melbourne, which was which was my option, and quite a, quite a few of my colleagues um, wanted to do that as well. Um, and I got a really good score um, as as far as I thought. And then in the year that I wanted to do it, everybody wanted to do commerce. So as it turned out, um, I I missed commerce by one mark, and I was massively disappointed because I just thought I'd. I'd had done well academically, like um, on the back of trying to do as much work as I could, but um, I'd missed it and I just couldn't understand why. Anyway, I found out I'd missed out by one mark. Did what I could to try and get in. Um, went into university and they listened to your, your little sob sob story and said, look, sorry, we can't. We've got, um, we've got another 15 other kids who are on the same number. Uh, but they, mm-hmm. they gave us advice and they said, look, if you want to apply, um, Next year, we'll, we'll see how you go. Anyway, I went to Monash and uh, that was fantastic. And when I joined Monash, I, I still had an inkling that I wanted to, to go to Melbourne Uni. Um, so I, I probably studied more than I, social, I should have been socialising, to be honest. But I made some really good friends um, out of Monash. Um, a good friend, we're fortunate enough to follow soccer at the same level and we love going overseas to, to the World Cup every time the World Cup's on and um, I catch up with him at that as do our families but I was given a couple of options to either expand commerce into law at Monash which would have been so much easier at the start of the year based on what they wanted to say or maybe go back to Melbourne or apply to go to Melbourne. As it turned out um, I didn't get an offer from Monash to uh, do a double degree for the same reason, lots of people wanted to do a double degree when I was trying to apply, but I got an offer to go to Melbourne. And um, I still had a pretty tight network at Melbourne Uni for friends that were still there, and I, I chose to, to do that. Um, so I transferred and, and went to, to Melbourne Uni, finished a commerce degree. Um, it was a three-year uh, degree. I think I, I did fail one subject uh, during my uni years, and it was a management accounting course. I don't know how I failed it, but I failed it. So I had to spend a summer doing that. And then I joined um, uh, an accounting firm straight after um, university, which in those days was really the fourth year of your university course, because everybody went through uni. Everybody ended up getting jobs in accounting firms and, and legal firms at that stage. And uh, yeah, that, that's where my sort of working career post-study uh, um, sort of transcended into working for uh, KPMG um, at mm-hmm. the start. And then, yeah, I've been working ever since for 25 plus years. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was good. So, so into an accounting firm and not just an accounting firm, you're into KPMG, like that's that I imagine. Is that sort of one of the, the go-to what desire, highly desired positions at the time? Is it was that a you know a, a well known, well established organisation back in those days? So okay, here's a here's a good lesson because um, during university, one of the things, and this, if I could leave a little nugget for people, is I ended up 
getting selected to do an internship with an accounting firm during university. So the internship was great both ways. One, so you could see how a firm worked and then also that firm could see how you performed. Mm. So when it came to being offered a job um, at the end of your course, you were already miles ahead of everybody else who was trying to reply. So um, kids, my one of my pieces of advice is get yourself some work experience, try and get an internship. I know it might be difficult, but you've got family, friends, or just the application process. Because if you can show your interest and willingness to do those things, while some kids are maybe partying and having too many holidays, it just makes it so much easier. And then you can go and party and have your holidays once you've got the job. But the internship was great. I, I did it with a place, an organization called Touche Ross, and I loved it. Great people. Um, and I had, a, I had a choice of maybe four or five. Back then, there were about eight, nine global accounting firms, and then there was a big consolidation. But the week I joined, and I joined Touche Ross, there was a merger between the biggest accounting firm in Australia, KPMG, and the smallest. And didn't know what to think of that. But when we joined again, it was just, it was great um, as far as seeing how another organization was run. And um, I suppose the other the other nugget is that you can never be certain what's going to happen in your career. And, you, and sometimes you just got to roll with the flow and see how it turns out. And it turned out really well. Mm, that's great. You mentioned you gave us a little snippet before that, that you're in Singapore. Normally, well, right now you're visiting Australia and catching up with family and friends and so forth. And we've taken the opportunity to, to organise this catch up. But normally you're living and working in Singapore, which, you know, by today's standards, <laughs> well, by three years ago standards is really not very far away. By today's standards, it probably feels like a very long way away. Um what what takes you from working, I imagine, in the CBD of Melbourne and then 25 years down the track, you're now working in Singapore? Same role, same career, same company. What happened to get from here to there? There's a lot in between here, here and there. Um, Give us three, three bullet points. Okay. Um, when I was working at KPMG, I worked in audit and audit was a great way of getting a general education in finance where you got exposure to uh, finance companies, uh, banks, um, uh, charities, manufacturing. And I just loved auditing. It was a bit of a people sort of discussion uh, experience. And I ended up working for a client called um, Credit Suisse. And um, they were in Collins Street, 101. And uh, we were in the old T&G building or Rialto Towers, I think we were, uh, back at that stage. Anyway, um, the Credit Suisse uh, had seen me for a couple of years coming in as an auditor, and I got offered a job to, to go and work for them. Um, I got offered that job by uh, a person who is now one of my um, really good friends who lives in Zurich, and we own some property together, and we've remained friends and, and ride bikes uh, when we can. Um, so I had that really great opportunity to, to join Credit Suisse. And then um, a lot of my career, I've spent a lot of time with certain employers, but basically if I could just name it Credit Suisse, then I ended up working um, for Barclays Bank, uh, moving up to Sydney, and then Barclays took me up to Singapore, um, Singapore to uh, Hong Kong for a year, then back to Singapore. Um, and then I left Barclays to then join Credit Suisse again. 
Um, so it's it's a bit of a, uh, I'm doing full circle. I'm not quite sure if there's a, another stop uh, after that, but that's been, been really interesting. But as far as the jobs, they've all been very different. It's been in maybe a similar sort of industry, but the industry's changed significantly. Um, and I think for some of us, whether you're doing finance, whether you're doing um, listed companies, whether you're doing um, uh, jewelry or whatever, you, your experiences through your whole career help you to sort of navigate what you're gonna do next and, and, and how you're going to make that next change or move. And some of those, some of those changes aren't your choice. Uh, I, I've had it occur in mine where one of my Barclays experiences, they basically just shut down the business in Asia and I could have gone to London to, to work with them, but at that stage I, I made a personal and a professional decision not to. Um, and, and others have been my choice for sure. But um, yeah, it's allowed us to live a, a, a valuable um, uh, and rich life in a different part of the world, but very close to home. So um, getting back home for a Hawthorne grand final or a weekend is, uh, has always been a reason why I've always Choose, chosen uh, Asia to be uh, a great base for us um, and it's just worked out really well. Our, our kids have been educated in Singapore and Hong Kong their whole lives and um, they've just loved it and they've met a lot of people like that. The, a lot of people who have moved or who have lived up in that part of the world and now my daughter's back here at Ormond College in at Melbourne Uni and she's meeting people for the first time who've got friends and family that know us and it's just mm. it really is a big world but it's a very small world mm. that's fascinating uh, tell me what's your title now what's your role uh, now we're getting in, into the boring stuff uh paul um i'm a managing director at credit swiss which i'm i'm particularly proud of because it's it's pretty hard to to get that title in some of these uh global investment banks nowadays so uh, I work in the in the finance function, and I don't make deals. Um, I'm not a deal maker. I, I end up counting counting the money behind the scenes, um, et cetera, et cetera, and, and making sure that we provide the, the right support network, the right entity structure for um, uh, the global group um, based in Singapore. And yeah, I have a global team, and my team's based in London, Zurich. Uh, India in a, in a city called Pune where I spent a year working or commuting I should say um, Singapore and Poland so I've I think I know all the public holidays for those countries um, throughout the 12 months I know a few of the customs so I, I make sure I manage my EQ uh, understanding as, as best as I can but it's also great experience for me I just I just love working with different people and different cultures um, and, and that's why a global job, I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Fantastic. I'm, I'm intrigued as to how a global job works today in our global community that, you know, clearly you celebrate diversity and, and you explored that a little bit when you were a student and, and celebrated that. And now the, your colleagues from around the world, like literally around the world, and, and yet uh, never has our world been smaller. And yet right now as we speak, um, there is, I guess, a global challenge right on our doorstep. And in the middle of that, you've travelled a little bit and you've been able to get in and, and soon enough you'll you'll get out again and spend some time transitioning back into home life. Um, what's your take on 
the world in the next three years? Are we going to open up? Are we going to, you know, are we going to be welcoming international travellers again? Is the the economy going to get an injection from visitors again? Are we are we stable? Are we wobbly? Are we what's happening? Because you, you're 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 in touch with all these countries at a very high level, and you understand things that most of us, absolutely I, do not. So I'm curious to know what a managing director thinks. Um, look, you're probably not giving yourself enough credit as far as just being in touch with what's happening with the rest of the world. But I, and together with some of the parents that are on on the call, I'm sure some of them have. They might be living and working in Melbourne, but uh, they might be doing uh, global jobs or national jobs from Melbourne. But look, um, what, what would I say? And I don't want to turn this into a COVID discussion necessarily, but um, one, we'll get through it. Two, um, it is a super connected world. So in some cases, some of our markets, and I've, I've seen this happen, right? The, the, the car manufacturers in Australia have shut up shop because it's just not economical. But then you see f- some fantastic Australian businesses just dominating in different parts of the world. Um, and hopefully we're moving permanently away from sort of raw materials, iron ore and, and coal because we've got fantastic services and fantastic um, food products that can be exported a- around the world. And then the digital age. The digital age is, is a threat, but it's also a massive opportunity because you can you can get your fantastic ideas to different parts of the world instantly and the whole digital side of things and the obviously, um, believe it or not, when I first started work, the, the internet didn't exist. Um, the ability to sort of get your market, your ideas um, to much bigger markets. Right? Australia's the lucky country for many reasons, but we're tiny. So if you can just get a, a fraction of a market in India or a fraction of a market in China, it's, it's worth a lot for your for your businesses. So uh, look, I, I'm um, I'm cautiously optimistic that everything will be fine. But we we yeah we have to constant. You use the word pivot again. That's a word that we hear lots. But you, you have to be resilient and you have to be able to adapt. You've got um, here in Melbourne, you've got restaurants who have just gone from in uh, in dining to takeaway businesses. And clearly it's not the same as what it was previously, but they're, they're coming up with smart ways of being able to survive through a difficult period. Um, and yeah, look, I think things will be good, but there's definitely going to be some challenges. So we have to look out for one another um, and and see how we can how we can help. I, I actually, I drove through the city this morning to, to help my daughter pick up something and I saw some international students lined up, and I didn't know that at the time, but my daughter told me it was kids who were lining up for food parcels. So you, you think of that and um, you think of how you can help those kids because they're living a long way away from home and might not have the resources. So, yeah, I think we've got to help help people as, as best we can because uh, after this is all done, um, you should be just doing this anyway. But, look, I, I'm, I'm, we, we must move forward. As simple as that, mm. and um, there's great opportunities. And if if people want to sit back and just wait for things to get better, then you might miss the fantastic opportunity to find an opportunity or to get ahead. Uh, and then when everything's back to normal, and yeah, normal might take a little little bit of time, 
um, then then have a break or then have your business boom even even more. Um, so that that would that would that would be that would be some of my observations. Hope that helps. It it does. It, it, I think it 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 gives people hope. It gives people um, from your perspective and in your experience on a global stage. It it's not all doom and gloom. There is challenge, absolutely. But with resilience, with the willingness to maybe be creative, like we talked about earlier, with the um, ability, as you did, to choose something and pursue that, try that, then knowing that the, the path might change a little bit and sometimes you'll make choices and other times decisions will be made for you, but keep moving forward and we will find a way and I, I agree with you. I also like the notion of doing what we can to help others. I think that that's critical and that's certainly something that that we um, continue to help our, our young people in schools today to get dirt under their fingernails, to get involved in taking action to endeavour to make the world a better place, both within our own school environment, outside of our gates, outside of our state borders and nationally and internationally. We want to be doing our bit to make the the, the lot in life better for everybody. I apologise um, <laughs> for asking you to explore some of the boring things. We're going to change pace for a moment and we're going to move into the lightning round. I'm the only one who calls it the lightning round because I'm going to throw some quick fire questions at you. Um, our listeners uh, would be familiar with the questions, but for you, most of these are for the first time. One or two word answers, a short sentence as you need to. Tell us, Mark Stafford from the class of 1986, what house were you in when you were at Yarra? Yellow. And were you any good? Were Hughes any good? I reckon we were. I think we won... A couple of the sports, but not all the sports. Was it Plummer and Arnott? Were they the other houses? On there were there were some fierce rivalries, but I was proud to be a Hughes um, representative. Excellent. What would you say was your great contribution to the Hughes house? It sounds like not in swimming. Definitely not in swimming. Uh, I think it was on the on the soccer field. We had we had a good soccer team. I didn't play footy. Um, yeah, it would have been the soccer team, and I, I think we I think we were the best. Uh, house soccer team. Mm, very good. How did you travel to school? Walked and mum. Mm-hmm. What would we find in your lunchbox as a regular go-to? Um, che- cheese and tomato sandwiches and they were always soggy by the time I got to <laughs> lunchtime. Yes, it's that combination. And a prima. A prima, yes, very good. The juice box, <laughs> very good. Tell us, Mark, what was your first car? Um, a Holden Gemini, and it was froggy Kermit, froggy green. <laughs> did you did you have a name for it, Kermit? <laughs> Is there a what's your favourite piece of clothing in your wardrobe now? A Hawthorne beanie. Oh, okay. Good answer. That'll that'll divide our audience, but uh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm a mum and dad's at the moment. It's freezing. I need to sleep with it. <laughs> um, what is uh, the two most used apps on your phone? WhatsApp by Country Mile and uh, um, the the Scan app in relation to COVID. So going into restaurants here in in Melbourne or in Singapore, I'm using that mm. a lot. 
Yes, we're, we're right into that at the moment. That's true. That's true. Is that right? A, a book or a film or a documentary that perhaps was formative that you might recommend as, as a, a, a recommendation, a go-to, whether it's for young people or, or maybe for people further down the track? Um, Genghis Khan. Uh, re- read up on him. See what he did and the legacy that he, that he, uh, that he left. It wasn't all bad, but just make sure you read it. Okay, that's great. When the world does open up for real, what's a travel destination that's on your bucket list? Uh, that's We dream about that every day, and that's a game we play with family members um, uh, too. We, we've got a place up in Japan, Nisiko. We would love to go up skiing there um, and love to go back to Europe and uh, ride bikes with uh, some friends of mine. Um, yeah, that, that'd be the, the two destinations. In fact, my wife wants to go to Mallorca if you really want the latest and greatest. Um, yeah, but it, it'd love to see a lot more of Australia too. I've been here for two months now to, to see my parents and my daughter and, and in-laws and friends. Um, but I'd, I'd, we've spent a lot of time travelling outside Australia. I, I think we need to spend a bit more time, especially with our parents getting a little bit older, uh, in this neck of the woods. When you're travelling on your bikes, are you pedalling or are you uh, just uh, twisting the throttle? Uh, I'm not twisting the throttle. Uh, They're they're road bikes. Um, But maybe in about 15 years, there might be a big battery um, somewhere in the bike. I'm not sure. But for now, it's pedal power and, uh, yeah, pedal power. Understand, understand. Um, Thank you for the invite. Um, I'm coming over to your place for dinner and uh, what are you going to serve up? What's your specialty? Uh, my COVID speci- speciality um, is paella. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, cooking up a paella, which is just a fancy barbecue. Um, you stand around it, cook it, smell it, stir it, um, and then served up with some fantastic wine would be uh, what you would be uh, entertained with, uh, Paul. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Take me out of the picture. You can invite three people from any time, any era, any background career. Who would three people who you would like to invite to come and stand around that paella? Uh, Pele, because I met him once, but I didn't have enough time to to chat to him. Pele, because of the soccer connection. Um, Gandhi, uh, from India. Um, Just didn't how he devoted his life to a whole stack of uh, selfless acts would be one. And um, who else would we invite? Kylie Minogue. (laughs) That's a diverse uh, collection of uh, dinner party guests. I like that. Thank you very much. When you were at school, did you have a nickname? Staff. Oh, that's original. Yeah, we, we, look... Yeah, all, 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 our, all our nicknames, um, yeah, it was Staff, there was Colby, there was Spags, there was Bazza, <laughs> there was Lockie, there was Loby, that was a bit different, Loby, um, Fletty, Timbo, the, the, there wasn't a lot of origination. Maybe, maybe now there's a little bit more creativity. Uh, no, fair enough. Is there a piece of work from your school days that you're particularly proud of, whether it's a, a graphics piece or whether it's a, a maths test you did really well on? Two. 
in HSC, I, I, I nailed the accounting exam and got that was my highest score. I got 98 out of 100. I wish I got that for all my subjects. That was great. And then in graphics, I did this. Um, we had to do a piece in HSC, and there was a there's an old house if if anyone recalls in Melbourne called Labassa, and it's an old uh, turn of the century uh, house that is now taken over by National Trust. And I just created um, a submission that was part of my uh, graphics uh, portfolio, and it was fantastic. I th- sorry, I thought it was fantastic, and I just put a lot of time in and effort into it. And for someone who liked numbers. I thought I could do something on the creative side. I never kept it. I've got no, it's, it's in a bin probably somewhere, mm. but uh, I should have kept it. Mm. I want to offer a, a phrase that may be familiar to you and I wonder whether you would recall what it means and then what does it really mean? And the phrase is our school motto, lavavi oculus. Do you recall what that Latin means in English? It's a test, but uh, lift thy uh, eyes up to the hills. Is that right? Yes, a- a- around those lines for sure, yep. What does that mean? What did it mean as a student, if anything, and what does it mean today? Um, look, uh, uh, back then it was. It probably didn't mean as much as it maybe does now from the point of view that um, you want to set yourself goals and ambitions in life. And you want to be able to do it in the right way is, is what I would interpret it to be. Again, there's certain, certain pathways you can take to have, having success. But if you're, you're mowing down all your opposition or your competitors in an unethical way, that's not, that's not the way Mark Stafford does things. But, yeah, again, having, having goals and ambitions to um, achieve things in life, whether it's in business, whether it's in community, um, and, and doing it in the right way would be the way I, I would interpret that at the moment. It might have a slightly mm. different meaning. I can't recall, but that's, that's the way I'd like to think of it. I, I love that. I, I think that's a, a beautiful description. And I think it's one of those phrases, those terms that's easy to say and it would not surprise me or it would not surprise you that I hear it often from yogs who, who recall didn't really mean much at the time, but now they've got a different perspective, a different interpretation, and similar to, to what you've explored about, about the idea of, you know, looking out, looking up, seeing the next opportunity and, and doing your best to live toward that, um, which I appreciate from your perspective as well. Mark, you've been really generous with your time and I appreciate you fitting us in uh, in around all of the other things that you're doing in, in really your final hours here in Melbourne before you uh, head back uh, would you say back home or where where's home for you these days? Yeah, no, h- home home's Melbourne. Um, our family home is in Singapore as far as my family unit. My wife and our son lives up with us uh, up in up in Singapore. But I, um, I can't ever forget where I come from. Um, so, yeah, if, if I needed to go somewhere, somewhere in the world, and they said, look, everything's shut up, uh, where do you want to go? I'd, it's it's back to Melbourne would, would be um, would be the answer that I'd give. Mm. My final question for you then is, it's a two-part question, and it uh, the question is, what is the one question or theme or topic that you really wanted me to ask you about? And then can you go ahead and answer that question or talk to that topic? 
What advice would you give kids at Yarra Valley today? Mark Stafford from the class of 1986, what, what advice would you have for young people who are students of Yarra Valley Grammar today? Um, that you're very lucky kids to, to be going to a school like Yarra Valley with great resources. Um, your parents have, have, have invested in the school and you to give you the best opportunity you can to help as, as best you can. Don't waste that opportunity. Um, and that there are some fantastic and um, magnificent opportunities available or that you're going to experience over the next 10 years and then the next 20 and the next 30 and the next 40. And that you shouldn't forget where you come from um, and you should always think about how you can assist people, whether it be family or whether it be your, your schoolmates, et cetera, et cetera, um, in helping them sort of navigate some of their decisions. So look, I, I've made a personal co commitment on this trip back to do more with Yarra Valley. I haven't done as much as I would like in the past. And I think the, the Zoom and the, the technology just allows those. Now, I'm, just because I'm in Singapore, I haven't got an excuse. So I've been speaking to a couple of your colleagues, Paul, around how, how I can try and stay a bit more connected and um, sort of help in that particular pathway. And then pay it forward. Uh, the more people that are helping one another, then it's, there's less work for everybody to do rather than just a handful. Those, those would be some tidbits. I love it. People are going to uh, pause, rewind and play that again and take some notes because that was some gold right there. Thank you for those nuggets, Mark. Thank you for your time. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for your wisdom and your storytelling. Thanks for allowing us or taking us down memory lane and pulling out some of the lessons and the learnings that you have been able to glean from those experiences as a student, as a professional, as a manager and as a parent and a guide and really appreciate your perspective and the wisdom and the storytelling so thanks for your time we call this the inspired by Yarra podcast and it seems to me that Yarra certainly helped lay a foundation for you to launch from and in some ways that's what being an inspiration is I look forward to your increased contribution to the wider Yarra Valley Grammar community and many people will be inspired by that, by you and your story. So for that, I'm very, very grateful. Thanks for your time. You're more than welcome. Thank you. And there you have it. I told you he was broad in his understanding and his mastery of both story and explanation and business and international and family and school and what puts together a good package of subjects and experiences and what a what a delight and how privileged are we to have people like Mark Stafford from the class of 96 1986 want to come back and rejoin and reconnect and re-establish connection with our current Yarra Valley Grammar community as you'd expect we have um, lined up Mark to contribute to our current student population with career perspective and advice and his story and I love it that the Yarra, the wider Yarra Valley Grammar community are keen to give back. Give back to those who, who are in need but also give back to those who 
will listen, those who will take on board the guidance and advice and suggestion and partnership and connection and all those things. And Mark Stafford is willing and so very able to give and give and give. And I'm thrilled that we've reconnected with Mark. Mark is well-connected and the network that he has of yogs is strong and we'd love that to grow and the Inspired by Yarra podcast is all about connecting and sharing the stories of yogs. So if you could help share the message, we would be delighted. I hope you'll join us again next episode when I get to sit down again with another yog, another Yarra old grammarian and see how they too have been inspired by Yarra. This is Paul Joy and on behalf of everyone at Yarra, past, present and future, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you get on out there with a bag full of intentionality and you get out into your world and make a positive impact in that world around you.